The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is my podcast on the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. So first off, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Be sure you're subscribed so you never miss anything inside Carolina is putting out and just first off it is awesome that football is back we finally made it it was an off season that felt like it would never get to this point and you know barring a hiccup the last week Carolina is kicking off this Saturday against Syracuse and I think Carolina fans have a lot of reasons to be excited this year first off you have a guy like Sam Howell who is going to be in the Heisman race if Carolina could put together a successful season and that's, that's exciting in and of itself. But then you add in the fact that Carolina brings back 2000 yard receivers and Deami Brown and Daz Newsome. You have an 1000 yard rusher and Michael Carter. I think Javante Williams rushed for like 930 rushing yards. Carolina brings a lot of talent back on this offense. And the question marks are along the offensive line, but You have to feel excited if you're Carolina, the fact that you have Phil Longo coming back as the offensive coordinator and you're going into year two of the same system. That's not something that a lot of schools have the privilege of. And it's something I'm going to say later on in the podcast when talking with Mike and EJ that this is probably the one year you don't want changeover on your staff. And Carolina brings back their offensive coordinator. They bring back their defensive coordinator. Your defense is led by a quarterback turned linebacker who is now a preseason All-American in Chaz Surratt. There's a lot of exciting players along the defense. You got you have guys like Taman and Tamari Fox. Uh, Ray Vahasik has been getting a lot of positive reviews from training camp. You have Storm Duck in the secondary, Patrice Renee coming back from injury, Kyler McMichael. You have impact freshmen on both sides of the ball, Josh Downs, Jaquarius Conley, Tony Grimes. It's it's really an exciting time to be a Carolina football fan, especially. There's a lot of expectations this year. It's a top 25 team. Now it's just can Carolina live up to those expectations and kind of take the next step that people think this Carolina team can to get to that next level. And while they're, they're still ways away from being that Clemson level of football, just because I think they need more depth along the offense and defensive lines, but this is a team that's trending in the right direction. And and that's exciting for Carolina football fans. And this is a fun podcast I've got coming your way today. Uh, Joining me in this next segment, we've got Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson two football lettermen. And then to close out the podcast, we've got another former letterman in Shaquille Rashad in a new segment called Glass Half Full, where Shaq just gives off his positive vibes. And there's nobody who's more excited for Carolina football than Shaquille Rashad. So I thought that's going to be the perfect way to end 
this podcast on a weekly basis, just hearing Shaq's thoughts. I'm just excited for you guys to listen to this podcast. I think there's a lot of great content, and I hope you enjoy it. Before we get to Mike and EJ, I first just want to remind everybody about our sponsor, Johnny T-Shirt. They've been serving the Carolina fans since 1983 when it comes to all things Carolina apparel. They've got everything you could want as a Carolina football fan. They've got your T-shirts. They've got your jerseys. They've got your hats. They've got your cold gear. They've got your hoodies. Whatever you could possibly want, Johnny T-Shirt has it. If you need a Carolina face covering, they've got those in stock and shipping now, whether you can get to Chapel Hill or you can't. Johnny T-Shirt, they have the best customer service. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. All right, let's get to Mike and EJ. Joining me now on the podcast, we've got two former football lettermen, EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll. Guys, what is going to be a extremely memorable season opening game for the guys on this team with no fans and everything that's kind of been leading up to this game. I just thought we should start by saying, you know, what are some of the most memorable opening game memories that you guys have? I think for me, it will probably be uh, the 2007 game against uh, JMU. I mean, it was the uh, Coach Davis's first game there. We could just feel there was something different from the pro around the program, both internally and externally. I mean, there there was more excitement from the fans. There was more excitement around the program. I mean, we we were playing JMU, which for me was a very exciting game because a few of my friends that I grew up with actually were playing on the team. But that the the preparation leading up to that game, the the training camp, the summer workouts even spring ball it, it all felt a little different so there was there was a different level of, of excitement I mean my freshman year of course I was excited because hey this, this is my first shot to play college football so of course they got me going but to know that I'm going to be a part of something I'm going to be one of the starters uh one of the leaders on this team and knowing that I have to put a little had to put a little bit more weight on my back and perform and make sure that I uh, all the other guys know what they're supposed to be doing and they're feeling good about going in the game so it, w- it was just a different feel and this in the stadium was a different different atmosphere Atmosphere. I mean, you would have thought it was a bowl game from the number of people that we had there or that we were playing like a South Carolina or Auburn or like some of the more high profile opening games that we've had. So, I mean, that that's going to forever be uh, etched in my mind because I felt like that's when our, our program kind of kind of changed for the better. Yeah, for me, we're going to have a long form coming out about the 2010 season. So, I mean, the easy answer is obviously the LSU game, um, but I'll save my comments on the LSU game for that, uh, for that, that, that written piece that's coming out for me though. The one thing I, the one game I remember the most, uh, maybe even more than the LSU game was the McNeese state game, similar colors, uh, different team, different level. Um, but that was the game that was sort of Brandon Tate's coming out party back in 2008. Um, that if everyone remembers 2008 is the season when Brandon was, uh, there was some, some mumbles of maybe a Heisman push and then Notre Dame took his knee out on a punt return. And that was, that was it for Brandon. Although he had a, a fairly long and steady NFL career after that. Um, but that McNeese state game from anybody that, or for anybody who remembers, um, there was a lot of hype going into the 2008 season, um, that game was ultimately delayed right in the middle of it for about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Uh, EJ might be able to clarify that for me, um, the time the time delay. But there was lightning and a thunderstorm. Um, but that game was also sold out at the beginning, you know, at the, at the start of the game. And then we ended up actually almost losing that game. Um, we had to scrap and claw and fight to win that game against McNeese. And I remember that game distinctly because 
it was a letdown game. Um, and we, that, that was the kind of game that you won, but you felt like you lost it. Um, it was, this, it was, it was one of those games that was etched in my mind because I never wanted to have that feeling in an opener or two, a quote unquote, smaller opponent ever again. Um, we had a similar, uh, a similar issue in 2010 with William and Mary, uh, when Mike Paulus was the quarterback at William and Mary, but that was a mid season game. Um, I think that was, that may have just been the result of burnout, but you know, it could have also just been that, unfortunately, the teams I was on displayed a pattern that maybe we didn't take those smaller teams more seriously. But that McNeese State game in 2008 is the one that I remember the most, and it was I remember it for different reasons, not so much excitement uh, as much as it was a, a learning experience for me and I think everybody else that I played with. Yeah, for me, I'm going to have to say the most memorable season opening game uh, I was a part of was 2015 in Charlotte against South Carolina, just being in Charlotte. And, you know, you guys know how many guys on the team are normally from that Charlotte area. So it was cool getting to go back there, getting the chance to play an SEC opponent. Uh, We were coming off a really bad year and kind of the lead up into that game was we thought we had a really good team and we kind of let ourselves down with a couple of uh, bad turnovers in the red zone. And there was a moment after that game where it was like the water boy clip, like uh, Rob Schneider, where he's like, oh, no, we suck again. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, we cannot go through what we just went through um, in 2014 again in 2015. And it was kind of a, a rallying game for us, even though we lost where a lot of guys came together uh, and we we did have a successful season after that game. But openers were were never too kind to me as a member uh, as a player and as a member of the staff, I was one in four in openers and the only win was against Liberty. So I was always excited for the opening games, but the opening games uh, weren't always so kind to me. But switching to uh, this season, Mike, Carolina currently only has six offensive linemen they feel comfortable with. And one of those guys that they feel comfortable with is starting left guard Joss Azudu, who's also Carolina's backup left tackle. How worrying is that lack of depth for you? It's It would be more concerning if I hadn't lived through it myself. So we had similar problems um, a couple of seasons when I played. And really what it is, it's just you know, people talk about the Bill Belichick next man up mentality, right? But that's that's what's being preached right now in that meeting room. And that's what Mac Brown is preaching to that offense. It's just a next man up type of thing when it comes to the offensive line. Um, there, there's going to be injuries. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a strange schedule, um, both in terms of preseason preparation and the season itself. So I would expect to see, unfortunately, uh, some weird freak injuries this year, just because they haven't had the players that is haven't had the amount of time they've needed in terms of off-season development, um, you know, with practices and strength training and things like that. Um, and, and the amount of time they have had has been interrupted because of COVID, uh, school closures, everybody being sent home, the two-week hiatus in athletics here recently. Um, so just as it seems like you're getting into a groove um, there in Chapel Hill, the guys are being pulled back out of school um, or, you know, they don't really know when are we going to report, are we going to report, that sort of thing. So it was on a lot of the guys really to, to train on their own back home and they're young kids and, you know, they were doing their best, but most likely most of them were not getting the type of training um, and the, 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 the type of strength training, the, tri- the type of speed training, agility training, nutrition, that sort of stuff that they needed to be getting, that they would have been getting if they'd been on campus with, uh, with Coach Hess and his staff and with Mac Brown and his staff. 
So I would expect to see some injuries. Unfortunately, it seems like the offensive line traditionally in Chapel Hill is where those injuries tend to hit first and hit hardest. Um, having only six offensive linemen is uh, – it gives you a little bit of heartburn, but but what I will say is that if they've got Izudu at the backup left tackle spot, it's because they think he can play there. Um, and if they are limiting themselves to only six players, it's because they think they've got six players who can really go out there and they can ball. And um, there are other guys I'm sure that they're just waiting to see develop, and there will be guys who will be called on um, that that may not – be expected to play right now, either in their own minds or in the coaching staff's minds, but we're going to see them. They're going to be on the field this season at some point. Um, but you know, the good, the good news is, is that a lot of these guys we have rolling out there, though they're young, um, you know, sophomores, redshirt sophomores, juniors and whatnot, um, they have game experience. So from an actual snap standpoint, I'm not concerned about their production and their ability to produce uh, in terms of whether they've seen the, seen, seen the field before and can they handle it. Um, but it's kind of like what you pointed on. I am a little bit concerned about potential injuries, although, you know, you, you only need five and stranger things have happened. If one guy gets hurt and we end up having just five guys throughout the rest of the year on the depth chart um, that we can really count on, you know, it's a shortened season. There's, there's no saying that we won't actually be able to make it through with that. So it remains to be seen, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The, the, the concern and the heartburn is there. EJ, uh, for you, I thought Jay Bateman kind of snuck this out during his press conference that he thought Tamari Fox might be the best player on Carolina's defense. And that's extremely impressive if that's the case, because they do have a preseason All-American at linebacker in Chaz Surratt. As a former defensive lineman, what have you kind of seen from Tamari to suggest he could be a force along the defensive line this year? Oh, I've seen quite a few things. I mean, and I think that uh, you're right. The coach Bateman, they kind of sneak that out there and kind of said it matter of factly. But I think that the message that he was getting across, not that um, that Tamari's his most talented player is going to be his most high profile player. But when I think he says best, I think he's going to be the most important player to that defense. Of course, we know the type of talent that Chaz is. I mean, he he pretty much went from a quarterback to one of the best linebackers in the country in the midst of a spring and a season. So that's impressive in itself. But when you have a guy that can line up inside, that can line up outside, that also has the versatility to to stand up in some potential situations, I think that that's very important to the defense and it, it allows them it allows them to do a lot of things that they wouldn't normally be able to do because if you have a guy that knows tackle and a guy that knows the end position as they like to call it in that defense, then I mean he, he's going to be able to help the young some of the younger guys that are coming in or guys that haven't had a chance to play as much as he has, and it just it just opens that defense up wide. It just opens the defense up. So what I saw from him that really impressed me was his use of hands, and I think a lot of that comes from his wrestling background, very similar to what similar to what we had in Robert Quinn. I mean, when Rob came into practice, though, he he. he he knew football and he knew he was good, but what he really, really knew was wrestling and how to um, handle his leverage. So I think uh, the one weak spot I did see with Tamari is that he needs to 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 transition some of the leverage and center of gravity that he used in wrestling and transition that over to the football field. Because a lot of the times he's in the right position. It's just that his leverage is a little bit off. And I mean. He, he's he's versatile, but he's also one of those tweener guys, which which is kind of where I was. Um, I was a six two defensive end, and I was the shortest one in our room. Of course, we had Quentin Cope was playing behind me at six eight, uh, Robert Quinn at six five, and Michael McAdoo. Uh, six seven Dante Page Moss was about six four or six five, so I had to get used to, to playing with leverage just like uh, Tamari can, and I do think that he's a little bit more uh, advanced in that position. So I'm not um, 
I'm not nervous about um, him getting some of those things together. I mean, and his motor is absolutely incredible. That's the one thing that you can't coach and you can't change within the player is his will and his want to. And every time I see Tamari on film, all I see is him getting after the ball. I see him chasing down uh, plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. I see his change of direction, which is very, which is very impressive for someone who plays the positions that he does. And he, he's very agile, very light on his feet. And I think that he's, I mean, if, if coach treats him just like we did Jason Strobridge, um, of course he isn't where Jason Strobridge was last year, but I think that he's a guy that the, that the offense will never know where he is. And I think that's going to provide us advantage because he's going to be effective uh, against the run and the pass. I mean, there's a little bit more uh, polishing, um, polishing that he needs to do with this pass rush um, because he is a tweener. A lot of the time, the long, the longer arm tackles, um, will get their hands on him. Even if his hands are in good position, it's just simple physical restrictions that aren't allowing him uh, to do what he needs to do. So I think his major impact on the from the pass rush is going to be on the inside and letting some of those younger guys um, and some of those outside linebackers uh, like Chris Collins come in and, and get some good pass rush on, uh, on the quarterback. And um, so I, I'm, I'm very excited about him, and I do see why uh, Coach Bateman thinks that he's going to be the best player because I do think he's going to be the most important player uh, on that defense this year because, I mean, I, I pretty much think that Chaz's performance – productivity leadership is going to be a given. And I think that everything Tamari adds is just going to propel this defense uh, to that next level. And that extra little extra level of toughness and that we didn't have last year that kind of hurt us in a lot of games. This question is going to be for both of you guys, but Mike, you could start it out. Carolina is counting on a lot of young guys along the lines on both sides of the ball. Guys like awesome Richards on the offensive line, guys like Jalil Taylor and Tamari Fox on the defensive on the defensive line and these are guys who either didn't really play last year or their roles are about to increase a huge amount what was the biggest improvement that you guys both saw in your games from year one to year two so i've talked about this in podcasts before and uh, and i think this is an opportune question considering the offensive line discussion that we just had a second ago um but there the the biggest improvement that a player will see in any given season is between games one and two. And it's a, there's a massive jump. I mean, it's, 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 it's their galaxies away after game two than where they were after game one. Um, and then uh, a slightly smaller jump after games uh, between games two and three. And then after about game four, game five, you sort of plateau. And that's really where you're going to be for that season, you know, with some minor improvements here and there, you know, little things you'll pick up on along the way, but the biggest jumps you're going to see are between one and two, and then a a slightly smaller jump between two and three. And where I saw the biggest improvement in myself um, was, you know, I went from, I I lettered, but I was mostly a special teams player and some spot, um, some spot duties um, on the offensive line, a lot of jumbo packages, goal line stuff, some, some sort of hybrid, you know, tight end tackle things going on. Um, That's where I got my game experience in uh, 2007 and 2008. And then when I came in in 2009 as the full-time starter after Garrett Reynolds, moved on to the Falcons. Um, my biggest improvement was understanding um, uh, understanding the importance of the footwork that I was being taught. So from a game, you know, people always talk about the speed of the game is so much different than the speed of practice. Just like they talk about the speed of the NFL is so much different than the speed of college. Speed of the game was never really my concern. Um, I, I just... Uh, 
coaches always taught me, and I, and I think most players understand this, that if you play at 100 miles an hour, you're always going to be playing fast, no matter what the situation is. So speed wasn't really the concern, and that wasn't really the learning curve. The learning curve for me was just from was from a technique standpoint, and that technique was mostly my footwork um, and also my hand placement, um, you know, trusting my hands as a uh, as a pass protector. So trusting my punch and knowing where to place my hands um, as a tackle, that was – you know, in a game situation against, against live bullets, against, you know, somebody else that I don't practice against every day, like EJ, right? Like EJ and I went against each other head to head almost every day in practice. I knew what EJ was going to do. EJ knew what I was going to do. Um, you know, so we, we, we had become very comfortable with each other from a competition standpoint um, that, you know, throwing somebody new at me um, in a game situation that I'd only ever seen on film um, that that year it was the Citadel, and that player actually had um, – he had been a two- or three-year starter at that point. So he had substantially more game experience than I did. So going up against a more experienced player, albeit someone who had played at a lower level, um, there was a lot to learn in that game. And, and, again, what I learned the most was trusting my punch, right? So trusting my coaching, knowing that, knowing that I didn't have to lean my head in on pass protection and I didn't have to block a guy with my face. I, I was strong enough and I had good enough, quick enough hands – and I'd learned the technique well enough at that point that I could trust my punch, um, keep my head out, keep my arms locked, and keep my eyes up so I could see what's going on. But also understanding that you know my footwork as an offensive lineman was vital, keeping all my spikes in the ground at every at every opportunity, understanding my pursuit angles on the backside with linebackers, understanding how to cut off backside three techniques, that sort of thing. In a game situation was where I really learned the most between games one and two. Um, and then games two and three, it was – learning how to really diagnose defenses and see things. So game one was mostly physical, that transition. After game two, I started understanding the cerebral part of it more in a live action context. So seeing defenses, seeing blitzes coming, reading cues on guys, again, that I'm not practicing against every day, um, but learning how to pick up on those cues quicker and translate the film to the field. Um, that, that's really where I saw the biggest improvement. So for me and where I think it really is with most players is game one is the physical stuff. And the reason why physical comes first is, you know, the shock of what you're doing translates physically more than it does mentally initially. Right. So guys experience, especially on the offensive line, that physical shock, but, uh, at, you know, during game one, and that's the, the, they fine tune and tweak a lot of the things they haven't been good at, um, up to that point, And you see the biggest, physical jump between one and two and then between games two and three you see a mental jump um you see an understanding of the game and a really sort of a vision jump being able to see what's going on around you and see the see the blitz cues see defensive cues um in real time and you really advance from a cerebral standpoint and then you start putting it together game three to four and that's why you start to plateau after that you've seen the you've had the physical shock you then had the mental shock and you've started to piece it together um, assuming you've managed to hold on to your job to that point, which I always thought was a blessing for me. <laughs> EJ, what about you? Where do you think you made the uh, biggest improvements from year one to year two, kind of like Carolina fans are hoping to see from guys like Jalil Taylor and Tamari Fox this year? Well, uh, I think Mike definitely explained some of my points very well. I mean, it's it's physical and then it's it's just you're, you're kind of nailing down your technique but what i would like to add to that and especially for a personal situation for me is just preparing how, how i went about preparing for the game was drastically different from year one to two and even drastically different from game one to two uh i came into the situation my uh redshirt freshman year where i was 
playing in a position that I had just started playing uh, in training camp only a month before. So I was just happy to kind of have a position and knowing that I was going to get a little bit of playing time. But uh, when that first game started, uh, I ended up playing uh, more snaps than um, – every other defensive end except for the one that that I started behind on the defensive line so mentally I had to to get myself in a place where I could prepare like a starter I mean I went into that game basically knowing who we were playing knowing our defensive calls I didn't know what situation they were going to be called in I didn't know anything about looking at personnel I didn't know what things they like to do out of 12 personnel out of 21 personnel or or 11 or anything like that so my biggest transition was being able to to know what I'm looking for in the film room know that things are going to be a little bit faster and just knowing and just making that transition from what I'm seeing on the field or on the film room and how that's going to look to me on the field um, I think that's going to be really really important for these guys uh, we see that they have the talent uh, but as, as we know last year coach Bateman didn't open up the playbook as, as much as he wanted to so I think that showing um, if these guys get in the film room and prepare showing the mastery of the basic defensive concepts I think that it's going to it's, it's going to open up it's going to open up the defense a lot and allow uh, coach Bateman to be a lot comfortable with those calls and I think what's going to be important especially with uh, what you guys were talking about with the offensive line and even the defensive line with us and not being as deep as we uh, would like to be it's it's those guys who aren't starters or who, who even may be on the third team uh, in practice. They still need to prepare as if they were starters, because as as Mike mentioned, these guys haven't been able to do the proper uh, level of training. I mean, I'm sure that it's not from lack of effort. It's just from lack of availability of the great sports medicine strength training systems that are at, at UNC. So a lot of these I mean, we may see a lot of these guys even Tamari Fox that we were talking about who Coach Bateman is so high on. I mean, you never know. I mean, with these days with, with COVID going on, you never know if someone's going to test positive and not be able to play. You don't know if somebody's going to tweak an ankle or to glory forbid, tweak a knee. So everyone needs to prepare as if they were going to be a starter. I mean, that's something that is preached to backup quarterbacks to every level, but I think that needs to be applicable to every different position room. So for me, Learning how to prepare, learning what I'm looking at, it, it slowed the game down. It made the game easier, and it allowed me to focus a little bit more on my technique without being nervous and anxious about, okay, what am I going to see in this play? It was almost second nature. I mean, and as Mike mentioned, I mean, the, the game – the practices, I mean, the games are supposed to be faster than practice, but with the way we practice, the games became easy because when coaches are sending everything at you at, on the fly and you have no chance to really think and you're just kind of physically going through the motions, that only makes you stronger and, and gives you more mental fortitude in the game. So preparing for the game is going to be something um, that I think is going to be really important for this team this year. Yeah, and Taylor, and I, and I apologize for jumping in again here. I will say that I think I did my best. You know, it is it is election season, so I did my best politician impression by not answering the question you asked and answering the question I wanted to. Um, the que- the question was, as EJ very aptly just answered, was uh, what's the biggest transition between years one and years two? And I stuck on, you know, I, more granularly, games one and game two. It was such a great um, answer that I, that yeah. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what what I will say is I'll echo a lot of what EJ said. For me personally as a player, between years one and years two as a starter, um, EJ hit the nail on the head. It's a perfect answer. It's a preparation thing. And I didn't have to worry about my technique as much going into my second year starting. I could prepare differently. I could focus more on the film and game plan knowing that my uh, my physical performance was likely going to be there. I knew that my technique would be there because I'd already had a whole year behind me of honing that using game reps. Um, so I knew that from a from a from a game physical performance standpoint, my technique would be there. I was now able to focus more mentally 
um, on the cerebral components of game preparation and really understanding the game, being a student of the game more. Um, I didn't feel like I was kind of drinking from, from a fire hose like I was my first year. I was able to sort of just, um, you know, try to uh, hone everything that I was looking at. So I think EJ made a great point there. Um, and, and the other great point I think he made that I want to echo is that, you know, going back to, you know, the depth issues we talked about with the offensive line. Um, yet we only have six guys now, but the one thing that because of that wonky offseason schedule we've had, and really so far the wonky in-season preparation schedule that we've had, you know, we only have six guys right now that coaches feel confident that they can roll out there, but that's, that's going to change. It's going to change out of both necessity and it's also going to change organically because guys are going to, um, as they get more reps in practice and they, you know, they, they, they prepare for games, right? Some of those guys that are currently, I guess we'll call them off the depth chart, um, but, but not really in the rotation. So out of the rotation, some of those guys are going to ascend into that rotation um, either because someone gets hurt and they're going to have to, or because they're going to sit there and prepare and the light bulb is going to go off and they're going to be more reliable and they're going to, they're going to get that development and they're going to advance the way that they should have under normal circumstances in a normal off season and a normal preseason, it's just going to be a little delayed, I think. So, you know, yeah, we're starting right now with six guys in the offensive line rotation, but I think, um, again, at a necessity or naturally, we're going to see, you know, likely seven, hopefully eight guys, um, you know, by second, third week of the season that can rotate in there and can give us, you know, give us some reps may not be all American reps, but they can, they can, they can at least hold their own in a game situation long enough to, you know, let Sam, let Sam get a get a couple throws off. Yeah, I think we've definitely hit on Carolina's biggest weakness or the biggest question mark for this team heading into the 2020 season. Just that inexperience and maybe the lack of depth at along both lines. But the flip side of that, heading into week one, what do you guys think Carolina's biggest strength is? Let's, uh, let's start with you, EJ. I think Carolina's biggest strength is that they're still relatively uh, an unknown. And that's one of the things that we talked about last year. And um, Mike has had, I've heard Mike make plenty of great points that after about game five or six, uh, after watching that film, that's pretty much who you're going to be. And that's the, especially from a defense looking at an offense, whatever that offense is doing, that's what they're going to do. Whatever, whatever pressures or, or blitzes that that defense wants to run. If you're an offensive guy, that's what they're going to do. But I think last year, because of our lack of experience and, uh, and coach Bateman, not being able to open up some of his more complex plays, I still think we have that element of surprise going into the season. And I think that we have one, I think our talent level has, has increased drastically with some of these freshmen coming in and even with the development of the guys, that we already had there. So I think uh, defensively with our ability to be able to call some of those more exotic looks and exotic schemes and even take something that we ran last year and, and make it look completely different. I mean, Coach Bateman has a track record of doing those and being a very innovative defensive play caller and, and scheme creator. So I think that the fact that we're going to open up that playbook, we're going to have some surprise blitzes, we're going to have we're going to have people like Tamari Fox who are versatile, who we can line up in every position, um, who, who, who knows everything from, from standing end up to to the traditional defensive end in the 3-4 to the tackle in the 3-4. So um, I think that's one of our biggest strengths. And two, I think that a lot of our guys who got to play early in the season, unfortunately, they weren't without with injury. But I, I'm just kind of wishfully thinking that they took that time to be coaches on the sideline. I mean, we have our whole secondary pretty much got hurt. And when, right when they started to play really well, and we even had some young kids come in and play very well, 
and still get hurt. So I think those guys um, had a chance to one, not only get their bodies back to where they were, but better, but a chance during that season to actually sit down, analyze, be able to observe the flow of the game from the sideline and, and stand next to those coaches to see, okay, if we're in this situation, coach is probably going to call that. And then when you, when you have guys who are cerebral as Chaz and, 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 information is being been able to share with him on the field i, I think that's only going to take it up another level but that element of surprise is, is still there so and i'm very excited to see uh coach bateman open up this playbook especially with some of these guys that we're uncertain in here in year two of uh of chad surratt um hopefully he'll be all american and defensive player of the year this year nationally i, I think that's what's going to happen so I'm I'm really excited about what we could potentially do defense to kind of match the intensity of, of that offense and the talent and the skill level of that offense that we've had. Now, Carolina's always had a history of either being really good offensively or really good defensively. Uh, hopefully this is the year we can put it all together and, and, and get both sides of the ball going well. Yeah, I, I agree with EJ again. I mean, he's, he's, he's making all the right points here. Number one, it's the element of surprise, I think, is, is a huge – strength we have going in this year. Um, like EJ said, you know, we, we weren't able to open up everything, particularly on the defensive side. We weren't allowed to open up the playbook as much as we wanted to last year due to inexperience and due to the injury bug. Um, you know, part of that element of surprise is, you know, we now have all those secondary players are back, at least for the time being, you know, God, God forbid they get hurt again. Um, but right now, you know, we have a, we have a, an embarrassment of riches in the secondary. Um, and then we've got obviously, uh, guys that have developed an advance on the defensive line from a pass rushing perspective. So I think on the defensive side, we definitely have an element of surprise uh, component here from, you know, that's, that's the tactical side of it. Um, I think Carolina's biggest physical or I guess positional advantages here is going to be, you know, you can say the secondary, um, you have a lot of experience back there, but you do have a lot of guys that missed most of, if not all of the year last year. But I think offensively the, the two position groups where we've got the most, um, you know, kind of the most bang for our buck coming back are the receiving core and our running backs uh, committee. And I think that's, you know, those are two key skill, uh, skill positions, two, two key skill meeting rooms um, that we need to have ready to play come week one and throughout the season. And the good news is that we have a lot of experience and a lot of production coming back in both of those rooms. You know, I don't want to focus on the quarterback. We know what we have at quarterback, um, you know, but you know, those those other two groups, I think, are going to are, are really going to help us from a from an offensive production standpoint. It's all going to sort of hinge on how the offensive line performs. I'm not as concerned um, due to you know both the scheme that we run, um, the tempo we run, things like that, um, but also some of the experience. You know, we have a lot of the guys that are coming back on the offensive line. Um, I'm not as concerned about their ability to produce, um, although it is always um, it is always a concern you know, your offense is going to go how your offensive line goes. Um, so, you know, we've talked about the depth issue so far today, um, pretty in depth. So I don't want to, I don't want to harp on that again, but you know, that is, that, that is the one major concern I have, but assuming that the offensive line does what it's supposed to do, I think having um, the experience in the room for our receivers and our running backs that we, that we have and the production coming back in those groups, I think offensively, you know, hopefully we'll hum um, and, and, you know, and you know, Longo will have some more wrinkles and things like that. You have a, a quarterback who's no longer a freshman. He's a sophomore and he has a ton of experience and a ton of production and a ton of confidence going into this year. Same with those two other skill groups. Um, I, I think, you know, we'll see an opportunity for Longo to really open up the offense a little more, open up the playbooks more this year, just like Coach Bateman will have. Um, so that element of surprise, I think, will exist on both sides of the ball, um, primarily on the defensive side. But I think we have some real strength in our traditional skill 
position rooms um, defensively in the secondary and offensively with the receivers and the running backs. I was getting worried for a second that we were going to mention the strength of this team and nobody was going to bring up Sam Howell's name. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Carolina, if if they are going to take that next step this year, and we a lot of us think that they are going to improve at certain spots, I think the biggest thing for this Carolina team is when you get in these toss-up matchups and you have a quarterback like Sam Howell, a lot of these toss-up matchups, it it comes down to who wins the quarterback play. And you look at games like Virginia Tech, uh, Florida State, Miami with uh, De'Ara King. Carolina has the chance to have the better quarterback in that matchup, and I think that's going to position them to do better in toss-up games when the rest of the team is playing better. And then I think another strength of this team is just the continuity of the staff coming back. I think this is probably the one year you wouldn't want to have a new offensive coordinator or a new defensive coordinator with no spring ball, very limited uh, summer workouts, uh, even limited training camps around the country. And then just the fact that Carolina brings Phil Longo back for year two, brings Jay Bateman back for year two. It's, it's a lot less learning and a more, more just playing and, uh, just just more instinct football out there instead of uh, just trying to like react. And I think you're going to see a faster Carolina team, both offensively and defensively. And kind of going off that coordinator point, um, this question's for both of you guys. Syracuse, UNC's week one opponent, they have two new uh, two new coordinators. So you don't know exactly what you'll see from Syracuse. The The coaching staff is probably looking at their previous stops and just trying to figure out how it'll work with uh, the Syracuse personnel that they have now. But if you're looking at it from a Carolina perspective, how hard is it for a player to go in expecting maybe one thing and then a team shows you something completely else and you're kind of making adjustments on the fly series to series? I would think that it's it's going to be tough. I mean, but you can't let yourself focus on that. I mean, as we've talked about at length on different podcasts, there's a true sign of a great coach and a great coaching staff and players who've bought in. It's how you make adjustments. If you're going to, if you're getting beat on the same play in the first half and the second half that you were in the first half, then adjustments weren't made on the fly. In this game, it's going to be really important. I mean, as as we mentioned. They're not they don't have they didn't have time to install everything to run through or to rehearse it to be as polished in their system. So a lot of the things that we're seeing, um, it may be the fourth or fifth time that they've even ran the Syracuse has even ran that as an offensive or defensive unit. So I think that's a major advantage. But what we do have to be cognizant of during the the game are those adjustments. We need to pay attention to what we're seeing. People on the sideline need to be engaged to say, okay, on third down, they're usually in this, they're usually in this formation or this personnel or first or second down, just so we can kind of get into the into the groove with some of their habits and some of their tendencies and adjust and go from there. And and I think that if we do that well against serious cues, that's going to be a serious, a, a serious confidence booster. And I think it's going to put a lot of people on alert that, hey, you can throw whatever new at you at us, you can throw whatever you want to at us, but we're going to adjust. And I think that goes along with a lot of these players last year who played in this system and it got to be around Coach Bateman and Coach Longo for so long that they're starting to understand the basics of the of these systems. So it won't be hard for us to give them a different look send have the same blitz but send another player uh uh um through as the penetrator there are a lot of different things that we can do if we're able to go in and adjust so um i think that it's really just a mental block i mean yeah you you can go out and 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 not see that but from a guy like me who early on in his career 
wasn't really didn't watch a lot of film and wasn't prepared and was just kind of going out there winging it anyway. I think that's 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 what's going to happen. But within the constraints of this defense, a lot of this is going to be guys being in the right position, but a play might be going the other way and you may have done everything right as, as the play calls, but you're going to have to improvise. And that's how great, great players are made. And that, that's what we're going to need uh, from some of these younger guys, from our Jaleel Taylors, from the, from, from, from everybody, from Tamari Fox, from Chaz, from Patrice Renee, Storm Duck, everyone's going to have to make sure that they know what we're doing so well that it, that Syracuse changing something to throw in a different look at us won't take us too far from our defensive scheme. Yeah, I mean, as a player, once you've played enough games, you've seen basically everything. So, you know, the one thing that you have to do, we, and we've talked about this on the pods before, is when you have new coordinators, you, ba- you basically have to watch film from their old school, which is, it's helpful from an X's and O's standpoint, but it, it's it's difficult to kind of get a feel for what that defense or that offense is going to do because it's not the same, um, it's not the same personnel. So the X's and O's might be the same, but the Jimmys and Joes are different. Um, and because the Jimmys and Joes are different, the X's and O's aren't being executed on film the same way that you're probably going to see them on game day because different human beings have different athletic capabilities and they do things differently, right? So though it, it might it might feel the same um, on game day, something's going to be slightly different than what you saw on film. But the good news is that if you've played enough games, you've seen enough stuff to have a toolbox of fundamental football understandings, fundamental physical techniques. You can handle basically anything. Uh, for example, the new defensive coordinator coming in from Arizona State, from what I understand, is bringing in a three-three-five defense. Carolina has seen that. That's an odd front, right? That's that's an odd stack front, is what that is. It's three down linemen. It's three linebackers. It's it's five. Uh, we call it secondary players. There's going to be a rover, um, you know, or a jack player, and then you're going to have your normal secondary. And they've seen that front before. A lot of teams are moving to that because it's easier to walk down a guy on the outside who's a natural athlete and and use him as a pass rusher who may not be a true linebacker or a true defensive end, but he's a freak athlete and he can get to the quarterback. So a lot of teams are moving to that three down line in front and that three, three, five um, stack front is, is no different than some of the things that Carolina has seen before. So they, the players for the most part have seen that they just haven't seen these players at Syracuse run it. Um, and they haven't seen some of the blitz packages potentially that this Arizona, this former Arizona state, uh, position coach who's now elevated to defensive coordinator with um, uh, with Syracuse might be running. Um, you know, the, the the one thing that I would expect, you know, I would expect to see next weekend out of Syracuse, though, from a defensive perspective is, you know, we'll talk about the offense here in a second. Well, I guess I guess it applies both ways. You'll see more of a, I would like to think, a vanilla presentation from these coordinators because they know that their players haven't had the same level of preparation and experience with their own system because of the COVID hiatuses and because of all the complications in preseason and off-season development programs here for everybody nationally, they've had the same issues everyone else has had, particularly being in New York State. Um, I, would, I would like to think they probably had um, a tougher time getting preparation done than maybe some of these, you know, some teams in the South like us have had, you know, this off-season. So, I would like to think that you're probably going to see a more vanilla presentation from these coordinators because their players aren't experienced enough in their own system and they want to give them stuff. They want to give them bread and butter packages to execute as players to build their confidence throughout the game. So they're going to want to stick to the things that they think they're good at right now going into week one um, and then build off of that going into week two. So Carolina would be the beneficiary, frankly of inexperience from their from Syracuse perspective. So a lot of a lot of times we talk about, you know, what is what are we going to do affirmatively 
against this new look that we haven't seen from this team before, right? Where we're having to study film from these coaches at other stops and not necessarily them running it with their players at Syracuse because this is the first year they're there. We talk about these types of situations in terms of what we what, what are we going to do, but the you know really the way to think about it is it goes both ways. What is Syracuse going to do? And they're going to have to run bread and butter, simple stuff, because those guys aren't going to be as comfortable with the system um, as they would normally be. So, um, so I would I would expect to see that, um, and I think it'll actually work into Carolina's favor. To be honest with you, Mike, starting with you here at the time of this recording, Carolina is a 20 and a half point favorite, three touchdown favorite against Syracuse week one can be a weird week at times where you're more likely for upsets. If you're Carolina, how do you avoid a letdown performance, especially without your normal home crowd behind you? Well, I mean, Carolina had a lot of success last year. Um, and they, um, they they can't rest on their laurels with that. You know they had a, they, they had a lot of success generally in you know through through the season is is what I'm what I'm referring to. But the last time that they you know um, when they played Syracuse up in Syracuse they obviously they obviously lost that heartbreaker um, that overtime game. You know th- this might be sort of a you know thumb in your eye kind of thing for Carolina a little bit too with Syracuse. Um, you know a chance to kind of avenge that. It's different players, different quarterback, different coaching staff. Um, but it's um, it, you have to be careful because Syracuse traditionally, you know, they had that one year when they had Dungy at quarterback that they were supposed to be, you know, fairly good. They went into last year, I believe ranked and they, they sort of stumbled Syracuse. I'm talking about um, sort of stumbled throughout the year. I believe if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so Carolina has to be careful not to believe the preseason hype and think that that's going to carry them through the game. That's the type of thing that hurt us against McNeese state. Like I talked about earlier in the podcast. So it's a, it's, it's, it's sort of a natural parallel we have here. Um, Syracuse, from a talent perspective, from a scheme perspective, from a from a coaching perspective, is like you know what we'll call quote a lesser opponent. Um, those are still, uh, however, college age kids. They are still in Division One weight training programs. They are still in ACC school. They still have ACC coaches that are paid millions of dollars to coach them. Um, they will be prepared to play. So Carolina can't rest on its laurels. You know the the successes that it had last year and the hype that it's had going into this season. They can't rest on that. And think that's going to carry them through. Um, they also can't expect Syracuse to just lay down for them. Um, you know, if, if Carolina gets ahead, they're going to have to keep the foot on the gas. That's that's the one thing in some of these opening games that, you know, you come in, you think, all right, we're going to blow the doors off of them for the first, you know, couple of quarters. And then once we get a big enough lead, you know, I'll be able to let, let my foot off the gas. That's This is a conference opponent. It's a conference game. It's not a normal start to a season. You know, this isn't really a tune-up game. Um, this this is a This is a team in Syracuse that feels like they have a lot to prove. They're going to come out firing out of the gate because, you know, what's at stake after this game is a 1-0 ACC record. Um, and it's one step closer to the conference championship game. Um, you know, just like for Carolina, it's the exact same stakes. So, you know, the Carolina needs to approach it like, you know, this is this so far is the biggest game they've played all year because it is. It's the only game they've played all year. And you don't know how good Syracuse is going to be this season under this new scheme. Um, and you can't assume that they're not going to that they're not going to be good and that they're not going to be able to play with you from a talent perspective. So, you know, if they get up, you know, a touchdown or two at halftime or after the third quarter, you know, they're going to need to keep their foot on the gas and keep their, keep, keep their foot on their throat a little bit just to, um, um, you know, to really put Syracuse away and make this a decisive victory. I think a decisive conference win here next weekend will push Carolina game two um, and we'll start the season off the way that it, that it needs to start off to meet some of the goals this team has for this season. 
EJ, before you go, I'm just here to fact check Mike. He is right. Syracuse was preseason ranked 22 uh, last season. Uh, they got up to 21. Uh, so that was a, a good recall by Mike to know that Syracuse was a preseason top 25 team last year. I would I would say for me, um, we just need to come out and set the tone early. We need to set the tone not only for that game, but for what this season is going to look like. Um, the Carolina program has a history, as Mike mentioned, of not getting up for these type of games. I mean, we can go from being a, from winning three games one season and we'll have a little success and we'll start thinking that we're a top-ranked team and we'll approach games with our preparation as such. But I honestly don't think this will be the same situation for this Carolina team, one, with everything that's been going on with the pandemic. I think these guys are going to be excited to go out and actually play football and do something that they love and something that can really take their minds off of everything that's going on. Because, I mean, you, you think about it in practice, it's there. I mean, even if there's nobody else there everything's the same I mean you're still you're still wearing a mask and you're still doing all these other things that you wouldn't normally do so I think that these guys are going to be so excited that there, there won't be a letdown but they need to the, the the younger guys everyone on this team needs to take this opportunity to prepare just for just as this, if this was the opening game against Auburn that was playing this game needs to be approached with that same excitement because like you said it's it's a chance to start off the season undefeated and also start off undefeated in the conference with with some of the talent that's in the ACC right now that's a big that's that's a huge advantage. I mean, yeah, we're preseason ranked, and I'm sure some of the players are reading some of the hype about it, about themselves, but I just don't get that feel from this team, and I don't get that feel from this coaching staff that they would ever let these guys become, become complacent. I think the energy and everything that they were riding on last year was great, but now that they have this energy plus that experience – plus uh, being more polished with with our schemes and what we're going to do offensively and defensively, I think that we can present our present ourselves as a formidable opponent, but we have to go out there and show that. We can't get up a few touchdowns and take our foot off the gas. We need to we need to learn how to win and keep teams down because there's going to be a time where we're going to be up on a Clemson or a team like that who's very talented, who we just came out and hit in the mouth because they underestimated us. So we need to start doing that now and preparing to, to keep leads, to be able to run the ball when we need to, to be able to stop the pass, to be able to get after the quarterback and take care of the ball. So I think that this is going to be – I think that if it does become to a point where it's a blowout, we need to use that game to polish up on our – polish up on technique and some of the things that we didn't get a chance to do during the spring and during the summer, as opposed to just trying to get your stats up, which I myself am guilty of, especially during the McNeese State game that we almost uh, blew a few years ago. But I don't, I don't think that there would be a letdown with this team. I mean, it's 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 first game. It's an ACC opponent. It's someone that, that we had heartbreaking loss to. So I, I don't think the letdown would be a problem. Just just to go ahead and, and burst your bubble, EJ, that McNeese State game wasn't a few years ago. That McNeese State was 12 hey, hey, years hey, ago. Hey, 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 guy. Hey, we, guy. Were, we were 20 <laughs> years old, 21 years old, 12 years ago. So that's how hate that talk, man. Yes, that's that's well. hate talk, man. That's ageism. <laughs> that's ageism, and I don't support it, and I don't agree, I don't agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> EJ Wilson, Mike Ingersoll, guys, it was great catching up with you, hearing from you guys, hearing your thoughts on as Carolina gets ready to kick the season off this Saturday. Looking forward to next week already. All right, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Matt. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level 
old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. To wrap up the podcast this week, I've got maybe the most optimistic person I know when it comes to Carolina football for a new segment called Glass Half Full with Shaquille Rashad, former Tar Heel linebacker. Shaq, UNC opens up this week against Syracuse at home in Chapel Hill. First off, you know, how bummed are you that you can't be in Keenan Stadium? I'm devastated, man. Um, after I got done playing football and everything and wrapped up, my goal is just to go to as many UNC home games as I possibly could while I'm, since I'm living in the area. Um, so it looks like that won't be happening anytime soon. But I'm happy for the guys that are going to get a chance to play and, and do it safely. But uh, I am a little bummed, I'll be honest, that I, that I can't be there to see it. So you can't be in Keenan Stadium. I'm guessing the next best place to be is Pantana Bob's on the deck. Is is that where, where Shaq Rashad will be? You absolutely know it, man. I wouldn't miss it. That that deck <laughs> is home. I've spent a lot of hours on that patio, man. And I'm excited <laughs> to go uh, watch the game from there. <laughs> When you look at the Syracuse-UNC game, it's it's only two years ago when Syracuse beat UNC up at the Carrier Dome. You know, how crazy is it to kind of think about how far this Carolina team has come in just two years where Carolina won five games over a two-year stretch to now they're a top 25 ranked team with an explosive offense and an exciting defense under Jay Bateman? I mean, first to say <laughs> to to – call this offense just explosive is bananas i mean uh, they've got so much of an opportunity to be incredible but yeah no it's it's exciting to see where where they've come uh where they're going and it's it's going to be a lot of fun i think and it, like you talk about syracuse and i actually was there at that game and so you know we had a shot there at the end at it but we didn't come up with it so to see them come back now and i mean open as well like 21 something 20 21 point favorites something like that um just shows you how far we've come and i'm excited for them it's it's going to be a lot of fun i think now, glass half full, you see Carolina game on a schedule, you think Carolina's going to win. It's just who you are, who you, who you've always been. What does Carolina have to do to beat Syracuse this Saturday? I mean, it sounds super uh, cliche for week one, but I, I think it's just they have to be themselves. Don't go out there and try doing anything crazy and, you know, listen to your coaches, do what you've been practicing all off season. Like we said earlier, exciting defense that's got some guys that can absolutely run. Like it looks like the defense is literally just 11, four threes out there on the field. And then you look at the offense and there's every player on the offense is coming off a thousand yard season. You know, I think I even saw that some of the offensive linemen had a thousand yards last season. It's just like everyone there is putting up numbers and they're going to be so exciting to watch so you don't have to go out and do anything crazy there's gonna be a lot of nerves right it was a crazy offseason a lot of nerves a lot of bubble guts you know the bathroom stall 
ball is going to be full 10 minutes leading into the game. But they're, they just get onto the field, right? Let it all settle in. Take in the moment, look around, enjoy the, uh, <laughs> the full stadium, and appreciate what it is you're doing, playing the game. Cardboard well. cutouts. Go have fun. Yeah, <laughs> 50,000 cardboard cutouts, you know, wave to your fans, wave to your families up there, and then, um, you know, focus on the game and just do what you've been coached to do. Now, who is your player to watch this game? Who are you going to be keeping an eye on to kind of judge how Carolina does? I'm so excited, right? The easy answer is Sam Howell. Um, in, in that one, I, I feel like it's so easy. I have to give you another one. Mine is, is Javante Williams. I'm so excited to watch that kid, man. And I know that, you know, we, we have a, an incredible backfield. He, Michael Carter, and honestly, some other guys behind them too. But um, and I say we like I'm still on the team. Um, <laughs> a great backfield, right? Michael Carter, Javante Williams, and, and they both get a lot of recognition. But I think Javante will open up. I think that in the in the North Carolina, right, you, you talk to UNC fans and everyone here has an idea. I think he bursts onto a national stage outside of just PFF tweeting about him every week uh, this year. And I think this <laughs> thing is going to be really exciting to watch him. I'm pumped to see him just embarrass some people. He's just an absolute workhorse. And then on defense, of course, it's, some of the young guys, uh, Chaz, again, on the defensive side is the easy answer. And so I'm going to go one past that and say some of these young guys, I want to see Storm Duck play. I was excited about him last season. He he showed up and proved that he's going to be a guy to watch for UNT for a while. And I think Storm um, will have a big year this year. And big year at corner is kind of a, a weird thing for me to talk about because you get good enough, they just throw away from you. But I think he's either going to be like really loud in the stuff he does or he'll be really quiet because people throw away from him. <laughs> Yeah, Storm Duck is a great choice at defensive back because, you know, that that room all of a sudden has turned into a strength under Dre Bly with Storm Duck, the way he finished last year. You get Patrice Renee back, Kyler McMichael, the Clemson transfer. There's a lot of exciting players to watch on the defensive side of the ball. But Shaquille Rashad always bringing the positive vibes. You can catch him at Bob's this Saturday if you want to watch the UNC game with him. Not too many people, social distance. Uh, but Shaq, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, Vip. I'm pumped, man. Let's get it. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.